Praise God. All right. Well, this morning I want to minister to you guys on loving the lost. See, we live in a, in a world where there's some people that are quite unlovable in this world. But we're still called to love them because Jesus did. But even before I get into that, as I was going through, as I told you, I got some, some stuff where I have different illustrations and stuff. And I, I found this illustration that I can't figure out where I'd ever use it. But it's really funny, so I'm going to tell it anyway. So it says, <laughs> Emily Sue was going into labor and her husband Bubba called 911. The operator told Bubba that she would send someone out right away. She said, where do you live? Asked the operator. And Bubba replied, Eucalyptus Drive. And the operator asked, can you spell that for me? And there was a pause. And then Bubba said, how about I take her over to Oak Street and you can pick her up there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has no application today at all. I just thought it was funny. So we start with that. <laughs> Praise God. So like I said, loving the lost, we're going to be ministering on today. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we walk in this world and we look around and we see all that is happening in this world. It is so easy to just want to walk away. It is so easy to want to distance yourself from the people that are doing these kinds of things. You know, we see the, the news on occasion. We see all the terrible stuff that's happening in these other countries. And, and we want to ask ourselves, you know, how can we love a people that are going to be acting like that? It's so easy to be disgusted and not have love, but you want to look at them. And, and uh, how can we love a people that treat women like that or that treat children like that? How can, we, how can we love people like that? And truthfully, you know, it's not just in other countries. There's, people, there's, there's men that treat women terribly here. You know, it's, it's not so much a cultural thing here as it is in some other countries. It's a cultural thing for women to be treated that way. Or as we were looking at... Uh, uh, not too long ago, pa or Joseph was telling me about a video where they were they were beheading Catholic priests, and just because they're Christian, you know, how do we love people like that? And then yesterday, as we were all talking, you remember the the news story that just came out recently about the the young child that was found in a toy box, a skeletal remains. A landlord was cleaning out his house because the they, he had just evicted the family, and he's going out there to clean out the house, and he finds the skeletal remains of a three-year-old child. In a toy box, I believe. And we look at that, and we found out later that they, they found the parents. And what happened was is, is the mom was locking the kid in the room and just not feeding him. The kid starved to death. And then they just left him in there. And we have to ask ourselves, how can we love people like that? I mean, that's, that doesn't conjure up warm and fuzzy feelings in my heart. I don't know about you guys. What about, even in this country, we see all the shootings in the schools. We see these kids just opening fire in schools, and they're, they're killing young children. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Everybody can thank Allie for not hearing through the rest of the sermon on the recording. Praise God. <laughs> thank you. Like I was saying, how many shootings go on in, in schools? We see these kids and we're like, how, why do we want to have any sympathy or mercy for these people? Why would we want to think that way for them? You know, and it's so easy to feel anger and hate. And the truth is, anger is not so much an issue. There's, there's, a, there's a thing as righteous anger. I mean, we can be angry at what happened. We can be angry at, at the things. I mean, it's okay to be angry that a, that a young child was killed, that the life was stolen away. But there's a difference between having righteous anger at the situation and having hatred for the person. But I think it's, it's really easy to do that. 
And then also we live in a society today where they're just continuing to push God away. Nobody wants anything to do with God. They're pushing God out of schools. They're pushing God out of workplaces. They're pushing God out of everywhere. And it's, I mean, have you ever tried to offer help to somebody and, and they just push you away so many times, you're like, fine, you deal with it. I'm not even going to mess with this anymore. It's so easy to feel that way about people because we get that so often. I mean, why would should we care for people that don't even care about themselves? And there's even verses in the Bible that we can use to kind of to kind of excuse ourselves for looking at people this way. Remember the the verse in Matthew seven six says, "Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." You know, Jesus was making a point that you know you're basically you're wasting your time if you're going to try to preach to people that won't hear it. And we use that as an excuse to not love these people. But the truth is that while it may not be wise to minister to these people because they're not going to receive it, you're just wasting your breath at this point in time, the truth is that we still need to love them. We still need to pray for them. We still need to care for them. No matter what they're, they're going, that's how Jesus saw these people. Even when they weren't receiving them, he still loved them. And he still showed them love. The truth is that if we show them love, maybe we'll have an opportunity that they won't turn their back on God because they'll see Christ's love in us. Maybe they'll finally receive it. And then there's people in this world that maybe have even hurt us, that have done terrible things to us. And sometimes you get that feeling inside you, you just rather than be cursed than loved because of, of the hurt that they've caused you. You know, if we look at it from the outside looking in, there's tons of reasons that we could give, legitimate reasons, why we wouldn't want to love people in this world, why we wouldn't want to see them the way that God sees them. But today I want to go through and look at some scriptures and, and recognize that, that we need to see God, see people the way that God sees them. We need to love them the way that God loves them. You know, I want to look at the people around me as I walk through this world and see them through God's eyes. That's how I want to see people. And that's what we're going to look at today. In Genesis 3.23-24 it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And I want you to see that from the very beginning, God's love has always been expressed towards us. I mean, we look at this story, and this is right after uh, Adam and Eve, they, they just... They just fell. Man just fell. Man just became an enemy of God at this point. And even then, from the very beginning, from the very beginning when man wasn't who God wanted him to be, when, when man was at this point dead in his sin, God still begins to express his kindness towards us from the very beginning. God still loved us, even when we probably weren't, un, we weren't lovable. So the first thing we see is in this time is... is even though God is removing man from the Garden of Eden, first thing he does is he, tempt, he, he curses the tempter. You remember in, in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put in enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and, he shall, and you shall bruise him on the heel. You know, the seed that is talking about, the seed of the woman, he's talking about Jesus. You know, the devil was going to bruise Jesus on the heel. He sent him to the cross. But Jesus won. Jesus killed the tempter. He bruised him on the head. And that's what he's talking about. The first thing God does is puts in plan, a, motion, a plan in motion to redeem man. 
because His love is so great for us, even though at this point we didn't deserve it. We completely, men completely turned their back on God and did whatever they wanted. And then He sends man from the garden. Here it says that He, he sends him from the garden to, and uh, He stations a cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every way to, to keep man out. And your first thought is, man, this is punishment. God's punishing man. But the truth is, this wasn't punishment. God was actually saving man. Because you know what would have happened if God would have let man stay in the garden in the state that he was? He would have eaten from the tree of life. It says he would eat from the tree of life and eat and live forever in the state that he was. If man would have had the opportunity to eat from the tree of life fallen, there's nothing that God would have been done. God could have done. He would have been eternally in that state. So God didn't kick man out of the garden to punish him, but actually to save him. In Revelation 2.7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This was Jesus speaking in the book of Revelations. The truth is that, that God wants us to eat from that tree of life, to live eternally with him. And those who overcome, those who are saved, those who accept Jesus Christ into their heart will have that opportunity once again. You know, even this, the tree of good and evil in the Bible itself was an act of love, an act of kindness. Many times I thought, why was that tree even there in the first place? If it wasn't there, man couldn't have eaten from it and there would have never been a fall and we'd all still be in the garden today. But the truth is that because of that tree, we actually had an opportunity to have a real relationship with God, have a relationship with our Creator instead of being mindless drones served to force with no will of our own. We, that was an act of love. God wanted to have a relationship with us. So even from the very beginning, God began to express His love towards us, even though we were definitely not deserving of it in our own right at that time. And then in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in 1 John 2.2 2 it says, And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So what I want to show here is that God's love is all-inclusive. When God looks at this world, He doesn't just look at His children, Christians, and say, I love them, but I, I hate the rest. God loves the entire world. His love is all-inclusive. There is not one who is shielded from the love that He feels for us. And to show that, He sent His Son for us. He sent His Son that we could be made brand new, that we could have a relationship with Him, that what was broken inside of us could be repaired. And that's from the best of us. Those are, that's from the philanthropists and those who want to do all good things for people to the worst of us. God's Son was sent for all of God's Son was sent for all of us. That's the kind you've got to catch. You can't let that one go. <laughs> In John 15:13, it says, "Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends." God expressed the greatest kind of love for us when He sent His Son to die for us. He sent Himself to die for us that we could be made whole. And then in this next verse, we find that this is John preaching to those who are saved. And he said that He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. He's the, the payment for our sins. He's the one that made our sins right. And He's speaking to Christians. But then He goes on to say this, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. John took a moment to make a point that 
the Christ didn't just die for Christians, but he died for the entire world well before they became Christians. This means that there are people out there whose sins are paid for, that they've been taken care of, but they're still going to go to hell because they haven't accepted that free gift that was given for them. You know, the truth is that even if no one would have accepted that gift, God would have still sent His Son because His love for us would have been that great. Even if no one would have said, I'll take that new life inside of me and and give you my old one to die with Jesus, He would have still sent His Son because of His incredible love for us. Because His love is not just for those who were going to receive Jesus one day, but His love was for every single person on this earth. Matter of fact, his, his love is so great for the lost, for those who haven't received Jesus, that he is waiting to send his son back. He's waiting. Jesus is waiting to return because of his great love for every one of us. He's waiting that everyone would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. You know, the Great Commission is our responsibility. The Great Commission says go out into the world and preach to the gospel to to all nations and make disciples. And that's our responsibility. We're supposed to to, to see the world and, and not look at people doing terrible things and turn our back on them or shun them because of who they are. And but we're supposed to look at those people with a heart like God does. And I find amazing, and it says he's not slow about his promises. Some would count slowness, but he's, he's holding off. He wants every person to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. He wants every person to have the opportunity to come into a relationship with him, to spend eternity with him because he loves them that much. It's hard to fathom that kind of love someone that would send his son for you and and die for you. I have a son and comprehending that doesn't work in my head. But he did it for all of us. Even those ones that we look out into the world and we see just terrible people by our standards, even by the world standards, are terrible people. But God still loves them. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ was sent for the lost. This is right here is, even when we were dead in our transgressions, Christ has not been sent for those who are already righteous, but he was sent for the lost. And he was sent to us well before we were made whole. He was sent to us when we were like the people that we look around and see in this world. You know, we can know that God loves us because He sent His Son. And we can see the fruit of that when we accept that free gift of salvation. Because we are made alive in Him. 
because of the grace of God in our lives, that the old man who is dead and dying, who had no hope, is, re- is replaced by the Spirit of God. He, he died with Christ so that we could be made brand new. We were raised up with Him. And, and the Bible says here that we are elevated to heavenly places. It says that we are raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. These are the fruits of, of God's love for us. You see, when Adam sinned, our rights were stripped away. You know, God created us to be rulers of the earth. And all that was stripped away. Our rights to be in a relationship with God, our rights to be with Him for eternity were stripped away. But with Jesus, they've been restored to us. In all this stuff, you know, God didn't repair us, make us better because He was disappointed in, in His creation. He didn't do this because He wanted to, to prove that He could get it right with man. But it was His love for us that caused Him to send His Son. In the greatest act of love that the world has ever known, God came down to earth and gave Himself up so that we could live. And this was all out of love. And the amazing thing to me is he expressed this love well before we were made pure and holy. Well before that we were made right with God. Well before that we were getting our act together and living good. He did this even while we were dead in our transgressions. While we were still sinners, God knew every bad thing that you were going to do. But he loved you so much that he still sent his son to pay for those things. And all these things are because he first loved us. So when we look at the world and see the lost and broken and the wicked, even the kind and good people, we can know that God loves them too. God's not waiting for people to get their act together before He'll love them. He's not waiting for people to start living right before He'll love them. You know, if you think about this, for those of you who have children, when you look at your children, you're not waiting for them to get everything right before you love them, right? You're not waiting for them to to always have their room clean every day when they get home or make sure all the chores are done or they're doing great in school. You're not looking at them to do all these things before you love them. Don't get me wrong. I want all my kids to do these things, but I love them regardless. My love is not based on their performance. And me being an earthly father, me being a flawed and, and, and not a perfect father, if I feel the same way, If I feel that way, how would I expect God to feel any different who is a perfect father? He's not waiting for them to get their act together. So I find it interesting that when we look at people, why are we waiting for them to get their act together before we'll talk to them, before we'll express any kind of love for them? You know, even those that are doing terrible things in the Middle East right now, God loves them. Even that family that starved their son to death, God loves them. Even all the evil men throughout history that have done terrible things. Hitler, who killed the Jews without any conscience at all. I just slaughtered the Jews. God still loves him. Stalin. Genghis Khan. Any number of Caesars. God still loves them. No matter what they did. You know, it's so easy to look at people 
and judge who they are based on what they did. But the truth is, when we look at people, we should see them, we should value them as someone that Christ came and died for, that God sent his son for. All these people, God loved just as much as he loves you or I. He loves them just as much as he loves you or I. So in John 5.19, we find that really Jesus is perfect theology. If we want to see how God feels about people, we only need to look at Jesus and the life that he lived. In John 5.19, it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Because Jesus is perfect theology. We can, we can look. If we want to wonder how, how God feels about people, what God thinks, we just need to look at what Jesus did and we know that that was the will of the Father because God says, or Jesus says that I only do what I see the Father doing. Therefore, if Jesus did it, the Father is doing it. God is doing it. You know, we can look at all the stories in the Bible of how Jesus interacted with people and we see how God really feels for us. You know, Jesus healed every single person that came to him. You look at many scriptures, it says all who came to him were healed. He never turned back against anybody. People came up to him and he never said, I'm sorry, you're just not good enough. If you can just, you know what, you show me, you live a good solid two weeks without doing this, this, and this, then maybe I'll take care of you. But he never said that. People came to them, came to him as they were, they came to him broken and dying in their sins, dead in their transgressions. And Jesus always received them no matter what. You know, the only requirement was for them to come to him. And you remember, he never turned the lepers away, which is always an amazing thing, especially if you take a look at, at, uh, at the, the Jewish traditions and, and rules that was a big deal for him not to turn lepers away. Because if you were a leper, you weren't fit to worship. According to, to, God, according to the, the law, you were unclean. You weren't even allowed to be in the city. They had to walk around in torn and dirty clothes, ringing a bell saying, unclean, unclean. Should anyone touch them, they would become unclean as well. They weren't even allowed to live in the city. But every time a leper came up to Jesus, not only did he not send them away, but he laid his hands on him. He prayed for them. They were outcasts and unfit to be around anyone. Because they would make anyone unclean. They were unfit to be around people, let alone God. But God received them with open arms. You know, and, and we look around and, and at the, at the uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the lepers of today. They're not lepers because of a disease, but they're lepers because of what they're doing. They're, they're people that we wouldn't want to get near. We would just feel dirty being around them because of the things that they do. They don't have a disease, but we still have the same attitude towards them. And the truth is that these are the people that we should be hurting for. We should be having compassion for because that's what Jesus did. And you remember the guy, that they tore up that guy's roof to let down the paralytic to be healed by Jesus. And man, if that was my house, I'd be like, Jesus, you see what he just did? Rebuke him for ripping a hole in my roof. You know what it's going to cost? 
But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus received him in. Just ripped a hole in a guy's roof to drop him down in there. But he didn't turn them away for the terrible thing that they just did. But he still received them with open arms. You know, Jesus cared about how people felt. You remember when Lazarus died and the Bible says that Jesus wept. You know, and I've said before, Jesus wasn't confused and was crying and hurting for Lazarus and went, oh wait, I have an idea. Maybe I'll raise him from the dead. Jesus knew what his plan was the whole time. Jesus knew that Lazarus wasn't dead. But he saw the people around him hurting. And Jesus hurt. Jesus felt compassion on them. And the truth is, there's so many examples that we see God's love expressed towards people through Jesus. We see that, that He is doing what the Father does. That God loves people. And I want to look at a couple examples in particular, in a little more detail, of the next few verses. In Mark 2, 14-17, it says, As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the, of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and, and sinners? Pardon me. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Levi is an interesting guy. Because he's a tax collector. And all the time, this was their mentality in those days, tax collectors were always lumped with sinners. I mean, later we find out that, that uh, he's given a new name. He's one of Jesus' disciples. He's actually Matthew, which means the gift of God. But he started out as a, as a Jewish tax official in the service of Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee at the time. And the Bible doesn't give us any insight on whether or not Matthew or Levi was an honest tax collector or not. But the truth is, most of them weren't. So it's likely that Levi is not really on the up and up. <laughs> but even if he were an honest tax collector, even if he were an honest man, just his position alone made him an outcast to the Jews. He wasn't part of them. Matter of fact, we see here that they go to his house in Levi's house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining along with him. These are Jewish tax collectors and men and women who aren't following the law. They're, they're just sinners, and they're, they're with Levi, and Jesus goes to have dinner with him. And then we see that Jesus calls this tax collector, this sinner, to follow him, which definitely wasn't what the Jews had in mind of their Messiah. And this man, he gives up, you know, we talked about Peter giving up a great job of fishing to follow Jesus, but the job of tax collector was probably even more secure than fishing, and he gave it up to follow Jesus. It's like, you know what? There's something about this man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him. But the worst part is he essentially burned his bridge when he did that. You don't walk away from this kind of job in the Roman Empire and expect to, you know, if this old Jesus thing doesn't work, I'll just work out, I'll just come back. I mean, his job's gone. He, he gave up everything to follow Jesus. And then it says, Jesus went to dinner with him in his house with many tax collectors and sinners. 
you know, those are the, the lost that are walking around us each and every day that, that we're careful not to interact with. Those are the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus went out of his way to have dinner with. Not to do the things that they were doing. Not to, to you know, the, the Bible says that we're not supposed to, to uh, those aren't the people that you want to spend all of your time with. You want to spend your, your, your time in fellowship with Christians, but these are the people we want to reach. You know, go have, a dinner with, go have dinner with a co-worker who may not be saved so that you can have an opportunity to minister to them. You know, these are not people that we would consider good people. But Jesus' love is so great for them that he dines with them knowing that, as he says here, that they're in need of a physician. And the truth is, before Jesus came into our lives, for those of us who are saved, we were just as broken as any of these people. We were just as, as dirty or unclean as any of these people. And truthfully, so are the Jews that are making these comments. They're just as unclean as them because it's, it's not what you do that makes you clean, but it's that you've accepted Jesus into your heart. I think it's funny because I think that uh, when Jesus made that comment about the dogs and swine not throwing your pearls before, it's, it's these religious people that want to have nothing to do with them. Those are the the swines. Not these people here that are willing to accept Jesus into his home. These are people that were, were ready to hear what Jesus had for them. But the truth is, Jesus, is, Jesus loves them, the Jews that are pushing him away, just as much. You know, Jesus loves, uh, from, from the gamut of all of those who are doing terrible things, who we'd consider bad people, to those who are Good people will want nothing to do with God. Jesus loves them just the same. Even Paul shows the same attitude for his countrymen, saying that he would give up his own salvation, that his, country, that his fellow brethren could be saved. Now that's a big pill to swallow right there. That's, that's love that... Hmm. And I, I, I look back at my life honestly, and I'm not sure I'd be willing to do the same. You know, when we look at the, the sinners and tax collectors of our present age, we should make a point to see them with God's eyes, feeling empathy and love for them just as he did. And what about the, the, uh, the woman that was caught in adultery? The scribes in John 8, 3-11, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. I mean, this woman is obviously caught in the act. I mean, it says she was caught, where does it say that? In the very act. Now, the interesting thing is here is how many know in this very act there's two people? But we only see the woman dragged before Jesus. Apparently they just pushed the man out of the way. But then we see an incredible act of kindness and mercy 
from Jesus. Because truthfully, according to the law, at that time, she was to be stoned. The guy had it coming too, although they just let him go. However, Jesus begins to open the eyes of the accusers, showing that they were, they were basically was saying that, they're in, that they are in just as bad of a place as she is. You know, he is without sin cast the first stone. Truth is, the woman deserved death for her sins. Truth is, so, so did we. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We all deserved it to pay for, for the sin in our life. Truth is, so do all the lost in this day and age. But Christ died. He showed his love for us so that, that we wouldn't have to. He paid that penalty for us. Because Jesus doesn't want her dead. He doesn't hate her. He still loves her just as he loves you and I. This, this woman caught in the very act of adultery, he still loves her with everything that he has. And he doesn't want her dead. He wants her restored. He wants her put back in a place of, of living holy and, and, and being in relationship with him. He wants her restored, just like he wanted all of us restored. You know, the truth is, his only concern is that she would go and sin no more. Jesus never, ex see, I think that's one thing we see the story and, and we get this idea that maybe Jesus was excusing her sin. He wasn't. Jesus is well aware that this is sin and it's not right. And he never excuses it. He never says that what you did was okay, go on and live your life. He says, go and sin no more. He wants her restored. He wants her to be put back in that place. And this should be our heart for the people of the world too. When we look around us, our heart should be the same way. Our heart should yearn for restoration in these people that are lost and, and not hoping that they'll get punished. You know, the truth is that we should even personalize it more, not saying that, you know, oh, we want the whole world saved, but start focusing on personalizing it for you. We want the people of our city restored. We want the people of our local community restored. Because these are all people that God loves. In Luke 9, 51-56, is when the days were approaching for His ascension, He was determined to go to Jerusalem. And He sent messengers on ahead of Him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for Him. But they did not receive Him because He was traveling toward Jerusalem. When His disciple James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do You want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. You know, Jesus, even at this point, is trying to minister to the Samaritans. These are the, the heathen, the Gentiles. These are not Jewish people. And he's going to minister to them. And they rejected him. Like so often, we're rejected when we try to minister to people. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus. And there's going to be many times when you're going to go to minister to somebody and you're going to feel rejected. And our first response often is, I think, like James and John here. You know, the James and John, Jesus gave them a nickname. In Mark 3.17 it says, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. These guys were a little loud, I think. A little bit passionate. 
a little bit rash maybe. I mean, they're ready to burn up an entire city because they won't accept Jesus. But I think we can get that attitude sometimes too when, when people don't receive what we have to say. You know, I'll forget you then. Go to hell. That's the, we may not say it out loud, but that's kind of the attitude we have sometimes, right? But the truth is that that's not how we should feel. We should feel love. I mean, Jesus rebuked James and John. He said, you don't know what spirit you are of. We didn't come, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The truth is that even though this city had rejected him, Jesus didn't want them dead. He still loved them every bit as much as if they would have, if they would have received him as well. So the question is, as we see, we, we begin to look through Scripture and we see that God's love for this world is immense. Those who are saved, those who aren't saved, those who we would consider good or, or right or worthy, and even those who we wouldn't consider worthy. So how can we begin to see with the eyes of God? How can we look at the lost, these people? We've, we've seen how God looks at them. How can we begin to look at them in that same way? Even the, same, even the less desirable ones, how can we look at them with the same love that he does? When 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. This is Paul saying this. The first thing we need to do is, is imitate Christ. We need to adjust how we live our life. And, you know, the, the what would Jesus do thing is kind of trite right now. And, and it's more of a, uh, just a fun thing to put on your wrist instead of an actual way to live your life. But the truth is, what would Jesus do? Jesus would never turn his back on somebody or stop loving them. He would continue to love them with all that he had. And 1 John 2.6 says, The one who says he abides in me ought himself walk in the same manner or abides in him, ought to himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If we abide in Christ, we need to walk the same way that he walked. And the way that we do this is first is that we recognize that that love is there. We need to recognize that God loves them. The first, the best thing that you can do to, to see people as God sees them is to learn how God sees them. And as we've looked through Scripture today, that he, even for the ones who rejected him or ridiculed him, or just refused to believe in his, his existence, he still loved them. And the truth is, most of us were all in that place at one time. There was a time in my life when I was rejecting what God had for me, that I rejected him. I didn't want anything to do with him. And probably the same for most of your lives. But he still loved you the same. He never gave up on you. He was always waiting at the door. You know, we've just looked at quite a few scriptures that show how his love was expressed towards the entire world. And we showed that, his, that the scripture that showed his love to the lost and the broken as well, not just those who are saved. Like I said, next we begin to imitate him in the way that he lived his life. We should live like he did, and he loved people. And the truth is, what we really need to do is just let him live through us. Because His Spirit is inside of us, making us alive when we're saved. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Christ lives inside of us. If we'll just let Him live through us, then we'll begin to imitate Him. 
In 1 John 4, 7-12, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one, was, no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. You know, the truth is that the only reason we can love is because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19, just a little bit farther down, says, We love because He first loved us. Love is actually a natural result of the change that happens inside of you when you accept Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. A miracle takes place at that very time. That heart of stone that you had is replaced with a heart of flesh and you are finally able to love because you've been first loved. The truth is, not loving is in part because of a disbelief that God actually loves us. If we, if we believed fully that God loves us unconditionally, that that would flow through us but when we don't love, it's actually and it's because we're not convinced, at least in part. Loving is a natural response to the great love that God has shown to us. And it's easy to say, oh, well, that's not who I am. I'm not, a, I'm not a loving person. That's just not my personality. And that may be true of the person that you used to be. The person that you used to be may not have been a loving person, but when you have God come inside of you, a miracle takes place and you are not who you are. As we know in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that anyone in Christ is a new creature. The old is, behold, the old is past and new things have come. The truth is the Spirit of Christ is inside of you and that is the Spirit of love. You know, I often wonder who might have received God's love fully if they would have just experienced it in our lives. I wonder how many homosexuals or people that have practiced abortion or prostitutes, strippers, would have given their lives to God if they would have seen God's love in us. And I don't mean in us particularly in this room. I'm talking about as Christians as a whole, as a church as a whole. What if they wouldn't have felt condemnation or bitterness or fear at the hands of Christians holding up signs in front of their place of business or whatever saying that God hates them and that they're going to hell. Nothing frustrates me more than to see people with signs that say God hates homosexuals. It's not true. He doesn't. He loves them every bit as much as He loves you or I. Prostitutes, strippers, all these things that we see as great sin, God still loves them. What if they would experience God's love instead? instead of bitterness and hatred at the hands of Christians. It's true, God doesn't like what they're doing. God hates sin. But God loves them. And if God loves them, and we're His hands and feet, we should be showing that to people. And not making them feel like they're condemned or, or hated. So what is love? 1 Corinthians 13, you guys all know it as the love chapter. But verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account the wrong suffered. 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. See, the truth is, particularly in, as I'm ministering this morning on the lost, this manifested in us looks like this love is patient. When the world rejects us and it rejects Jesus, we don't turn our backs, but we pray for them and we patiently wait for the opportunity to minister to their lives, to tell them about the love of God. And as we live lovingly towards them, there may be a, there'll be a day when we have that opportunity, when because of our love shown towards them, they'll begin to have the opportunity to receive what God has for them. It says love is kind. We don't mistreat those who are different than us, those who don't fit into the good Christian mold. Love is not jealous. We don't look at those who, according to this world, have it all. But we're jealous of what they have. You know, it's easy to look at, at people that are definitely lost, but have money and, and cars and a nice house, and it's easy to get jealous. But that's, we're not to treat them differently because they already have it all, feeling like they've already got their reward. God loves them the same. And the truth is, even with all their stuff, if they don't have Jesus, they're still hurting inside. Love does not brag and it's not arrogant. We don't wave what we have in the face of the lost, but we offer it instead. Because it is every bit as much for them as it is for us. It says love does not seek its own. You know, we don't act selfishly in our own interest, but we genuinely care for those who don't know Jesus. It is not provoked, nor does it take into account wrong suffering, nor does it rejoice in unrighteousness. You know, we, when we look at people, I want to see them the same way God does, not taking into account to, to what they do, what they have done, but taking into account what Christ paid for them, their value in Jesus. And we don't rejoice in their suffering. But the truth is, is we, re, we rejoice with the truth. We rejoice when someone comes home because they've accepted the truth of God. And love bears and endures all things. You know, we need to walk with those who are lost and hurting so they might have the opportunity to come home. We put up with, with some things that we may not think are righteous or the right thing to do, but we, we bear them so that way we can be an, uh, make an impact in their lives, that we can be a blessing to them. And then it says, love hopes and it believes. You know, the reason that we do these things is because we believe that God can make a difference in their lives. You know, if, if we didn't believe that God can t- make a difference in their lives, then it would be, it'd be the right thing to do to walk away if God couldn't touch them. But the truth is, God can make a difference in their lives. So let's love them. In John 4.36, it says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. You know, this is Jesus speaking. When Jesus looked out into the world, he saw people that, were, that needed him. The, the Bible says they are ripe for harvest. They're, they're people that are wanting to accept his love, that need his love. They have a hole in their heart. And the Bible says that the fields are ripe to harvest. You know, we, we look at this world and we, we see people that don't want anything to do with Jesus, don't want anything to do with his love. But the truth is, there are people out there that are broken and hurting. When someone first talked to me, I didn't want anything to do with it either. But I'm so glad that they shared God's love with me that I could take part in that as well. Because if they wouldn't have took the time, if they wouldn't have cared enough about me, if they wouldn't have loved me enough to tell me, I wouldn't be here today. So let's resolve to look at this harvest field. Let's resolve to look at the lost all around us in the same way that God looks at them. He loves them with all that he has. 
And he wants more than anything, not for them to be punished, not for them to be hurting, not for them to be distressed, but he wants more than anything for them to be restored and redeemed. Amen? Let's resolve to look at people the same way God does. Amen. Praise. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.